0: well happy new year everyone I hope you had a wonderful Christmas and a and a very happy new year a new beginning 2020 you know I remember 2000 I th- thought man 2020 is going to be a long ways off and you blink your eyes and here we are you know that's the way it is next week I'm going to be I'm going to be preaching on what's in store for 220. Okay, two 2020, excuse me. So I hope you'll be here for that. It's a vision sermon. So I hope you'll be here for that as we, as we plan and prepare for this new decade of reaching our community for Christ and discipling them one person at a time. Okay, so I hope you'll be here for that. I want to remind you um, about your um, your uh, your one. Uh, we want you to use these cards as you share with your one, just place share on there, put it in the little box, and when your one accepts Christ, uh, just put accept on there, put it in the little box, and we'll post it, okay? We'll just, we're putting those up just um, um, indiscriminately up there, um, so please, um, please do that in the weeks ahead. So we can see what God's doing as far as our one uh, outreach. Turning your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 16. And we're going to look at the doxology. I just read it last time. It's too important just to read. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, if you're able. And read along with me as I read this portion of God's Word. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings have been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Well, we have come to the end of Paul's epistle to the Romans. What an amazing book is Romans. The apostle Paul was the greatest theologian to ever live. You cannot read this book without being struck by that truth he ends with this theological masterpiece with his longest and most beautiful doxology that we just read together this doxology is a beautiful is a beautiful finale to this great epistle you know when i think of a finale i I think of you know fourth of july the the fireworks display and at the very end there's this finale you know, this this final scene. And, and that's what we have in this, um, this doxology, Paul's final finale of this tremendous book. It's a doxology of praise to God for all he has done for us in Christ Jesus. Really, what we have in this doxology is really a, a summary of the entire letter to the Romans. And I, I want you to uh, think back with me as we think through the the, the argument of the book of Romans just for a minute. In chapter 1, Paul begins with the greatest statement of the gospel. Romans one sixteen. for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. In other words, this gospel brings salvation to all those who in repentance of their sin and faith in Jesus Christ, they're saved. Then in chapters 1 and 2, Paul demonstrates the need for the gospel because of the sinfulness of the human race, because all men are under sin, Paul says. And then next, in chapters 3 and 4, he describes the provision of righteousness, which comes by faith in Jesus Christ, this righteousness of God that God gives us that enables us to be right with him. And then chapter 5, Paul describes the believer's position in Christ. And over and over again, we read in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, and that's our position in him. And then chapter 6 through 8, Paul reveals the pathway to spiritual victory. And that is through the Spirit of the living God who lives within us and gives us the the power to overcome sin and to obey God. In chapters 9 through 11, this great three chapter, it's Paul's vindication of God's work of salvation by addressing Israel's past blessings, present unbelief, and future salvation. And then in chapters 12 through 15, Paul focuses on practical Christian living. How are we to live out this, this salvation that we have in Jesus Christ? And then in chapter 16, Paul sends his greetings to all the believers in Rome. And then finally, in the last three verses of chapter 16, Paul concludes his epistle with this beautiful doxology of praise uh, to God. Paul begins this doxology by praising God for strengthening his people. For strengthening his people. Look with me again at the first part of verse 25. He says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to just look at that word strengthen just for a moment. It means to prop up. It means to prop something up. It means to make to stand. And what Paul is saying, our God is able to make us stand strong and secure in him. Our God is able to prop us up so that we will not fall in this life or in the life to come. Paul realizes that he can't make these believers strong and secure in the Lord. He realizes that. So he commits them to God who can do just that. He can make us stand the god who is able to make these believers in rome secure and strong is the same god that can make us at wasmus baptist secure and strong now let's apply this to our own lives spiritually just for a moment first of all our god is able to make us strong and secure physically I think what, um, I think about, um, what, what, um, uh, what Paul says in, in so many of his epistles that, that our God is able to make us strong in every situation of life, no matter what might come our way. Years ago, I heard the story of Ira Sankey. Ira Sankey was the song leader of, um, of D.L. Moody's uh, evangelistic crusades in the 1800s. And one day, Mr. Sankey was traveling on a, a steamer on the Delaware River when he was recognized by some of the passengers on board the boat. And they asked Mr. Sankey to sing one of his favorite hymns. So he obliged, and he sang the hymn, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Well, Mr. Sankey... Um, asked everyone to join him on one of the favorite lines of that song that goes like this, We are thine, do thou befriend us, be the guardian of our way. Well, when he finished singing, a man stepped up and asked Mr. Sankey, was he in the army during the late war, speaking of the war between the states? And Mr. Sankey answered, yes, I was I was in the Union Army, and I joined in 1860. Well, the man continued, Did you ever do guard duty at night in Maryland in 1862? Yes, I did, Mr. Sankey answered. Well, the man continued, he says, Well, I was in the Confederate Army, and I saw you one night at Sharksboro. You were on guard duty, and I had you in my gun sight. And as you stood there in the light of the full moon, I was about to pull the trigger when you began to sing that very song. Thinking back, Mr. Sankey recalled that very moment. And the man said, as you sang that hymn that night, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. When you started to sing that song, He said, I couldn't pull the trigger. (laughs) I just couldn't pull the trigger. Yes, God is able to keep us secure physically. He's able to protect us and keep us in this life. But, you know, we don't have to go back 158 years to see God's protection and God's protection and safety. When I was a young Christian, I heard Dr. Helen Rosevere, a former medical missionary to the Congo, tell her story of the rebel forces attacking her missionary compound during the Congolese Civil War in 1964. The rebel soldiers came in at night with their torches and their guns ready to kill anyone in sight, burning the compound down. When things looked hopeless, Dr. Rosenveer said, God did the most amazing thing. She said, God blinded the eyes of those rebel soldiers so that they could not see us. She said, the rebels walked in to the compound. In fact, walked right up beside us. We could have reached out and touched them, but they didn't see us. And we were able to walk away unharmed. Yes, God is able to keep us secure physically. As we've already sung, there's no fear he cannot steal. You know, there's no danger he cannot deliver. There's no problem he cannot solve. There's no pain he cannot relieve. Our God is able to make us stand physically. But secondly, our God is able to make us secure spiritually. I think of what Jude says in Jude chapter 1 verse 21 in his doxology. He says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. Now that's going to take place in heaven when that takes place. God is able to take us safely to heaven's shores. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. He says, I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Just keep that up there just for a moment. I want you to look at those two words up here. Began, he who began a good work in you, and I want you to look at the word completion, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The God who began the work of salvation is able to complete it. The God who justifies us is able to glorify us. The God who saved us is able to keep us. So God is able to make us stand spiritually as well. Now, the question is, how does God strengthen us so that we can stand strong and secure? How does he do it? Well, Paul tells us in verse 25, again the first part of the verse, he says, now to him who is able to strengthen you, now notice what he says, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now, he says he's going to do it by my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now, it's kind of strange here that um, that Paul calls the gospel, my gospel. Does he mean that that he has some unique, different gospel than the apostles had and preached. No, there's only one gospel. And that's the gospel that Paul preached, and that's the gospel that Peter and John and the other apostles preached. So he's not saying he had some unique, different gospel. In fact, Paul says to the Galatians that if anyone comes preaching a different gospel, let that person be accursed. Strong words. So he's not saying, I have a different gospel, I have a unique gospel. He's not saying that. He simply means that God gave him the revelation of the gospel. That he didn't get it from the other apostles. He didn't get it from Peter and John. He didn't get it from a man. He got it directly from God. God revealed it to him personally. Now, what is this gospel? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15... Verses 1 through 4, he tells us what it is. He says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received. Now notice Paul says, I receive this gospel from god and this is the most important thing i could possibly tell you about of most importance this is the most important thing and here it is that christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures now now this was paul's gospel this was peter's gospel this was john's gospel you know this is our gospel You know, people ask me all the time, Pastor, how how can we know if someone is preaching the true gospel and not some false gospel? Because you just turn on the TV set and and you hear so many different things, radio, so many different things. You go into churches, you hear so many different How do we know if the gospel that is being preached is the true gospel? Well, just ask yourself, is it the gospel that Paul preached? Is it the gospel that the other apostles preached? Is it the gospel that proclaims Jesus? Because if Jesus isn't being proclaimed, it's not the true gospel. Is it the gospel about Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and coming again? Only the gospel that proclaims Jesus is the true gospel. Anything else is a false gospel, and it should not be believed. The heart of the gospel is Jesus. Take Jesus out, and it's not the gospel. The heart of the gospel is Jesus Christ. The heart of the gospel is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died and rose again to rule as Lord over creation for all eternity. That's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. No other gospel can save. No other gospel that can, can change lives. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I stood in a church, I sat in a church once at an Eagle Scout ceremony. And I heard the pastor of that church say that Jesus is the best way. No, Jesus isn't the best way. He's not the best way among other ways. No, he is the only way. And if Jesus is not preached as the way, the truth, and the life, as the only Savior from sin, then it's not the gospel that Paul preached. It's not the gospel that Peter and John and the other apostles preached. It's not the gospel that we preach. It's not the true gospel. The gospel that leaves Jesus out is a false gospel. The gospel that minimized Jesus and and says he was just a great leader, he was just a great prophet, he was a great teacher, but minimizes who he is, that he's the only God, the Son of God, is not the true gospel. The gospel isn't a call to social justice either. That's not the true gospel. The true gospel is, is not meeting people's physical and economic needs. That's not the true gospel. I'm not saying that's not important. It is. We should care about the needs of other people. That, that's part of our Christian duty to do that. To reach out to the, the homeless. To reach out to the needy. To reach out to poor. That, that's our Christian duty. But it's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. Jesus ought to be preached in every sermon. Every Sunday, all year long. It is the proclamation of Jesus that changes and transforms lives. Every sermon sermon should make much about Jesus Christ, exalt and glorify him. Now, an important aspect of the gospel is what Paul calls the mystery here. The mystery. Look again at verse 25 according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. Now, what does the word mystery mean? What does the word mystery mean? Well, it doesn't mean mysterious. Uh, When we think of the word mystery, we think of a whodunit story, don't we? And Agatha christy novel or something like that no that that's not a biblical mystery here so we need to understand what is paul talking about when he talks about this mystery that was hidden but now has been revealed the word mystery refers to something that was hidden in the past but now has been fully revealed to us so what is this mystery this gospel mystery Here it is, and Paul tells us elsewhere. He doesn't go into detail about it here, but he tells us elsewhere what it is. This mystery is God's work of uniting both Jews and Gentiles into one body, the church. Uh, That's the mystery. Uh, That's the mystery that was, was not fully revealed in the Old Testament days. The prophets didn't fully understand that. The patriarchs didn't fully understand that. But it has been revealed to us in these New Testament days through the apostles and the New Testament scriptures. Now, Paul refers to the mystery in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And I want us to read it because Paul tells us exactly what this mystery is. As I stated, God uniting Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus into one body, the church. Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written you briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ." which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Here it is. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs with who? With the Jews. Members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So this mystery is God's purpose To unite believing Jews and Gentiles into one body, the church, through the gospel. Now, this tells us something important about the church. There's not a Jewish church and a Gentile church. No, there is one church made up of both believing Jews and Gentiles, there's not a black church. And a white church. There's not a southern church and a northern church. There is one church made up of all believers in Jesus Christ. In other words, we're all God's family if we believe in Jesus. That's the great mystery that was hidden in Old Testament times, but has been revealed to us by the apostles through the Spirit in these New Testament days. Now, there's another part of this great mystery of the gospel that Paul speaks of in other places. And that's found in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 27. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 27, where Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filled up with what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Now, what Paul is saying is that Paul saw his suffering as the fulfilling of Christ's suffering. In other words, Paul saw all that he went through, all the persecution, all the suffering. He he saw himself suffering uh, uh, for the church as Jesus Christ uh, suffered for the church. He says that is the church. The hope of glory. Now, just keep that up just for a second. That's the mystery. That's part of the great mystery that Paul wants uh, these Romans to understand. He wants us to understand. The great mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, now let's try to just let this sink in just for a moment. You know what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, God, in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lives in us as believers. Just let that sink in just for a moment. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, lives in us as believers. God lives in us. see, Jesus is not only Emmanuel, God with us, but he is God in us. us, see, that wasn't revealed in the Old Testament days, but it has been revealed to us in these New Testament days. Now, Paul says this mystery in verse 25 and 26 was kept secret, he says. It was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and throughout the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Again, all of this, this mystery was not fully revealed in the Old Testament, but has been revealed to us in the New Testament Scriptures. That's what he is saying. The gospel has been made known to all nations. It has been preached to all nations, all peoples, all races. And it brings salvation to those who obey its message By putting their trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. This was Paul's gospel. This is our gospel. And what a glorious gospel it is. It can keep us strong, safe, and secure in every circumstance of life. It can keep us strong and safe and secure until the day we go to meet God in heaven. Who could ever devise such a gospel? such a salvation who could ever think this up not man Paul tells us who could do it he says in verse 27 to the only wise god that that's the one who could do it that's the one who did it to the only wise god be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ amen you know there's no god like our god he is the only wise god God, in his infinite wisdom, devised this great gospel that brings salvation to all those who believe. He devised a plan so that hell-bound sinners like you and me, who were dead in our sins and our trespasses, could be forgiven and justified by faith in Jesus Christ. This is Paul's gospel. This is the gospel that he proclaimed. This is the gospel that we proclaim today. This is the gospel that is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Let's join Paul in praise our God. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. We've already sung it, that great hymn of Fanny Crosby. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life our redemption to win and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father. This is what we're invited to do. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he has done. This is the gospel. The question is, have you believed it? God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to down the cross for your sin. They took him down from that cross. They put him in a tomb. But on the third day, he rose again. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, God has opened up the way of eternal life for all people. It doesn't matter your sin. It doesn't matter the guilt and the burden that you bear. It doesn't matter. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, the way of salvation has been opened to all who simply believe. All we need to do is turn from our sin and place our trust in Jesus Christ as our only way, our only Savior. And he will give to us, as a free gift, as a free gift, eternal life. My friend, have you done that? Have you done that? Cannot think of a better, a better time to do it than at the beginning of a new year. Give your heart to Jesus. Put your trust in him. Have you done that? If not, why don't you do it today? Let's pray together.